you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL Podcast. Opted out of training camp. Welcome to another edition of the Around the NFL Podcast. My name's Dan Hansis. Come to you from a virtual room filled with some heroes. Mark Sessler, Greg Rosenthal. Oh, but that's that's not all. It is drafting. Because it's draft week, we're going to have a full slate of shows, special guests up the butt, weird choice of words there. Yeah. Very perfect. Yeah. But that means a lot. It's got butt on your mind, I guess. I guess so. (laughs) Up the wazoo, which is, I think, the same thing. Anyway, there's a fourth on the show today, and it's been too long. Hit it, Ricky. (laughs) It's Tiny Fox, y'all. It's Tiny Fox, y'all. One of them heroes with endings and all them locks, y'all. There's a new one? Party flow. Mary Tigazzo. She repping Philly and Miami traveling all the globe. Extended version or something? I like this. I like this. The history is very, very rich. Yes, it's Colleen Wolf. And yes, that is... That was one of Connie, one of the par- one of the participants in the makes Con- make Connie's theme song uh, contest. Not a victor, uh, but figured we'd bring back one of the uh, honorable mentions. And that, you know that one, as the kids say, slaps. I don't remember that one being so good, but yeah. I'm really into that. I like yeah, it. Man. I need a copy. I'm just like gonna ride version. around. I feel like <laughs> that's it. the first time we've heard that song um, since. Colleen was on and was picking her quarantine house, the same show where. No, um, don't say it. Don't bring where, it up. Where she said the mayor of New York was like strikingly handsome. A comment All right. that hasn't aged. Oh. Well. At that <laughs> time, that was he a popular there. opinion. Right. Uh, had I known what I know now, I would have absolutely not put him in my quarantine house. But we all make mistakes <laughs> and we learn from them. And I learned a lot from that day that and that fun. exercise. Yeah. I love well, that. Colleen, no don't worry. That Greg is Greek, deeply embedded in cancel culture and has an updated notebook for anyone who gets removed from society. So he's on that beat. <laughs> I was wondering Greg where you're going with that, Greg. And then I saw Colleen's face turn sour. And I was like, oh, he's about to land a haymaker here. And uh, it was the Cuomo. It was. It, it was. It was All right. Cuomo I'll own up uppercut. to it because it was accountability is important. It well, was, I mean, we, there was a lot we didn't know back then. In Colleen's defense. Uh, Mark also was going to chain Gail Godot to a radiator to teach her a lesson <laughs> at the beginning of the pandemic. As I What's recall. the problem with that? Well, we were all in different places. It was it was a tough time. <laughs> I stick by that um, modus of Aperondi. This is it's... Colleen Week, though. She's Mrs. Draft. I mean, she's got her own podcast about the draft. Yeah, what's I going do. on with that, Connie? Tell us about well, that. How did it happen? How's it going? Okay, it's good. I. Uh... That's why I haven't been on in a while because I've been doing this. You know, it's weird. I've never – it's a lot different than the sh- like doing the shows on the network, do- doing a podcast and just with one other person. Mm. So as it turns out, work uh, working is a lot of work. So I've been really busy <laughs> with it. Uh, but you guys can check that out on the clock. 
I've talked to a bunch of different prospects. Uh, they all have some really funny, cool, different background stories. It's, it's been it's been nice. It's been a learning experience, Dan. Who's your fa- Who's been uh, one? If we were gonna check out one to start with, where would you start? I like the the Justin Hilliard one um, was good, and then also Benjamin Saint Just. Um, Just it's he's French Canadian. I've been having a hard time saying his name, which is problematic because promoting it is an issue if I don't really know the correct the you know correct way to pronounce his name. Uh, but he has so many different fun facts, including one that he gave a pair of J's to the Pope. So there's that. Wow, wow. I'd love really? to see you sneak in a like a fake person who. Just see how many people catch up to be like, this is a from the wilderness prospect. We love his story and then totally create a deep fiction and see if anyone notices. I'm down. Will you do it with me? Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. I will. All right. That's so my draft sure, knowledge in a nutshell. So make sure you check out on the clock with Connie Fox. Um, do that. And also, you know, we have, we have so many great resources for the draft with it's just what 72 hours away at this point. 96 hours away. Who's counting? Uh, later on in today's show, Lance Zierlein, another favorite of the show, uh, draft analyst uh, for NFL.com, NFL Network, uh, works down in Houston. He's going to join us uh, to give his takes on what's going to go down in Cleveland. And Connie, you're going to be in Cleveland as well. And I always love your role at the draft uh, because <laughs> you're very front and center on NFL Network in a lot of ways. Uh, with the programming, but this is one the one where you're amongst the people, and as an added bonus, um, the always on the edge of insanity, yes. Michael Irvin is with you, so that feels like it's going to be great. You're you're part of the live show for NFL Media, right? So we'll, we are the in venue, uh, the people that come out in between the picks and basically entertain the crowd. So we're like draft hype men. And it's really probably one of my favorite assignments of the entire year because it's not serious at all. And I'm with Michael Irvin for the whole night. So it's always fun and entertaining. What's Irvin like? Like, because we've, we're kind of kept in a bubble. Um, we're like the kids table of NFL media. Uh, mm-hmm. But the secret to it is like with th- at Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, the kids' tables where the fun is. So like, it is. I, we don't really and strive. And they're to left sit. alone. They're like left right. alone. There's less rules over. We there. don't strive to sit at the grown-up table uh, at NFL Media. We like where we are, but sometimes there's some drawbacks. So that means like Michael Irvin's always at the grown-ups table. So we've really never really interfaced with him professionally. So I only know him the way the public does, which is kind of this high, amped-up guy who was always yelling and fired up about something. What's Irvin like when you're like just sitting? on a couch in a green room? <laughs> is he just like, big show well, coming up, looking forward to this? Or is it, I can't wait for this show. It's going to be amazing. Like, it's where is the ladder? It's the ladder. It's 10 out of 10 energy scale all the time. And I think we all know that I wow. really belong at the kids' table. I was just somehow dropped onto the, the adult table into that mix. Um, but Irv is... Irv is like that all the time to the point where we'll be having a production meeting for Thursday Night Football, and he will come in like straight from the gym with his workout gloves still on, and he'll start doing <laughs> he'll start doing a whole thing just to himself. And we're like, well, who's he talking to right now? Is he is this part of the show? And he's just doing his own sort of sermon off to the side to the eggs. Like it's uh, <laughs> it's really entertaining. Reminds me of Mark before some of our live shows in the past. Sure, replete no, with I, the exercise you know, gloves. I, I am. I would say it's a chore for you, Colin. You have to keep up that Michael Irvin level energy yourself the entire time. So you know, maybe 
put some things into the bloodstream that will help that become more of an organic process. Well, I will say like the next day, I basically just have to stare at a wall because I'm drained of all life and creativity and ideas after something like that. That's true, though. But you also you also essentially play the straight man on this or the straight woman to Irvin. So you don't if you had to match Irvin's intensity like your head might explode by the 24th pick. So it's almost better that you, you're just yourself, you're Connie, you're chill, and then he's doing his Irvin thing. It's a pretty good buddy cop uh, combo, I got to say. It's perfect. And the first time I ever did this was when the draft was in Dallas. And they had me with Michael Irvin in Dallas for the draft. And I had never worked with him mm. for one segment, one show, anything mm. before. And I was so nervous about it because I'm like, what is this going to be like? I really don't know him that well. We've never really interacted And now having done multiple drafts with him and Thursday Night Football, it's so easy to just put the quarter in and let him go because now I know (laughs) what those buttons all are. It's great. Very good. Very good. Well, Connie, um, we're just happy that you're back here. You've never forgotten your roots. We've We've always liked that about you, and that's why you're the tiny box. So before Lance Airline, um, let us get caught up on the news in the NFL. There's so much news that's happened. (laughs) Mark Sessler, it is nine years ago today that we were sitting next to each other at Radio City Music Hall and the the Cleveland Browns selected Johnny Manziel, I believe with the 22nd overall pick in that draft. And um, I'll always remember it because before everything went south for that draft, and that was a very bad draft for the Browns uh, looking back, uh, that was a great night in New York City because it felt like uh, there was a lot of excitement around Manziel, and uh, you know it didn't work out, but we always had that night. Yeah, what a simpleton and a rube I was that evening. But I I couldn't know the future. I mean, I think a lot of people had a reason to be excited about the fact that he was going to be a quarterback somewhere. And I, you know, I should have known the minute that it happened that Sheck, who seemed to have arrived from the future, was just jabbing me. Uh, left and right with verbal questions, you know, knowing how this thing would turn out. And, uh, you know, what a doomed affair. But maybe Justin Gilbert was the worst pick. I mean, that's the crazy thing about all that. Mm. I mean, that Johnny Manziel and Tim Tebow are reminders that none of these draft analysts or teams know anything because those were popular picks at the time. There were tons of highly paid draft analysts who all loved Tim Tebow in the first round or Johnny Manziel in the first round honking that night like the Browns had changed everything. And I miss that... being together with everybody for a moment like that because now we can't do now we can't be in Sessler's face like with yeah. a camera or right. anything. It, it used to be a lot more fun. Maybe next one year. day. Next year. Yeah, next year. Maybe one day we will be again. And what you don't see, and that's a somewhat famous YouTube clip uh, within the annals of around the NFL history, and you could find it if you care to seek it out. Um, what you don't see in that clip is literally right running alongside us on the aisle while this was happening is Drake, who was like best buddies with Johnny Manziel at the time. 
and he ran right up and you saw him run up the stairs into like the uh, green room area, I guess, to celebrate and begin the partying for Johnny Manziel, which really went on for the next five years or so. And maybe still is. Who knows? But uh, wherever you are, Johnny Manziel, I hope you're doing OK, buddy. And you're doing OK, Mark. It's, you know what's sure. interesting for the last and I don't think Baker has necessarily been a slam dunk like, you know, you're set for 10 years, but he's been good enough and has had moments and the Browns are coming off a great season where you haven't even been in discussions for a quarterback pick in the draft for four years now, which is a big difference from the previous like 10 to 12 to 15 years of your fandom. Yeah, but I also noticed that like that what that visceral reaction that came out of me due to a football maneuver like I that hasn't also hasn't happened in five plus years. So I need to, you know, I need to look mm. deeper as to why that's why that's occurring. All right. Let's do some news. We'll start with a, a nugget from Peter King. And I think it's important to note here because Peter King himself made sure in his Monday morning quarterback column to note that this was not his report. It wasn't based necessarily on hard info as, as, in terms of something coming imminently. Uh, but the fact that he put it into his column four days before the draft is interesting. Uh, he reported that he would not be surprised if the Atlanta Falcons traded Julio Jones uh, this offseason. And uh, Rapsheet then uh, added on his own reporting that the Falcons are, quote, at least toying with the idea of trading Julio Jones. He's 32 years old. He's coming off a year where he's been banged up. Uh, but, Mark, this is a guy who means so much to the organization, but it's also an organization in transition. Where do you come down on this? Well, I feel like I've been banging this drum about Atlanta's well, let, cap situation. That's a good point. Hang on a second. And now it's time for another edition of Mark Sessler frets about the Falcons' salary cap situation. <laughs> Go ahead, buddy. Well, I noticed that the topic bubbled up suddenly on NFL Network today as if it had become relevant in the wake of this news. I mean, King also notes <laughs> they don't want Did to Did they trade. mention how many players are under contract with exactly, the Falcons? Exactly, that's your main thing. That's they have an NFL low 56 players. I just checked Yikes. before the, the broadcast here. And they are about six million under the cap. So the part of this is is desperation, trying to like get their roster under control because there are questions about how they can, you know, at this point even like, you know, sign the rookie class. You can't really move Julio Jones before June first. I mean, you could agree to something, I guess, but like this isn't the Falcons wanting to move on from Julio Jones. This is the Falcons like sort of saying, look at we're kind of effed here. And a couple of teams, maybe a team like the Raiders, who you could see doing something like this, coming and taking Jones's huge salary away from Atlanta. I, I think it's all intentional. There's a lot I don't believe during draft week. And number one is that like that this isn't all on purpose. You know, Peter King puts that in his column on the same day that Ian reports that teams are asking to trade for him on the same day that Albert Beer puts it in his column like the Falcons are putting this out there that's my sleuth work I'm not I didn't ask Ian or anything so I think they coming into this offseason knowing Julio Jones might be on the roster probably even on the roster and they can easily fit him under the cap you can move money around I, I don't think that's a huge concern but is he going to be a part of their future that's an open question is he going to be on the roster next year that's an open question let's put it out there and see what kind of offers we can get. And the key thing in Ian's uh, report, I think, was that they might agree to a trade now, and it wouldn't be 
you know, executed officially until after June 1st. And then they save $15 million in cap room. And who knows what they get. That It's a little complicated. But I think this is saying uh, it's putting a for sale sign on Julio Jones, saying if we get enough, we, we would deal him. That contract is fully guaranteed, too. So they can't. They can't cut him. They would have to trade him to break free of that deal. And who's going to – it's going to be tough, I think, to find maybe a taker just because of the money in that contract and also the fact, like, his injury history. He didn't play half the season last year. So there's Mm. that and the fact that, like, obviously the Falcons can't be thrilled that they gave Julio all of this money and then he just didn't live up to the production of that deal, whether it was through his own fault or – because of the way that the team was constructed. But for me, I'm looking at this and thinking, okay, so does this signal that they're going to, it's a rebuild at this point and they're going to take a quarterback because they're going to sell Julio, try to sell him to get out from under that cap space and make some other moves? Or does it mean that they're going to take Kyle Pitts to replace Julio as a pass catcher? Mm. Very interesting. I mean, I feel like, and I understand this could go sour, maybe not AJ Green's age 32 season Mm. sour, but, you know, very... It could be a shaky move where you give up good draft assets and you take on this big salary and then he's off the field for half the year and then you you have egg on your face. But if you're a team that's right there and you feel like you need that that last piece, I, I feel like he's a great roll of the dice. He's I mean, he's an all-time player. And I think, I don't know, Greg, I, when you were watching the tape on Jones, when he was healthy, did he still seem like Julio Jones to you? I know Calvin Absolutely. Ridley has eclipsed him in some ways statistically, but he still feels like a big-time player. Julio was so explosive last year. Julio was looked awesome last year. He made more big plays than usual when he played. And people think of him as injury-prone, but that was really the first year where he's missed significant games was last year. The question, I guess, would be like, what is a fair price? It's really tricky. Mm-hmm. I think teams would be fine taking on his contract, but do you want to give up? like a real deal draft pick to pay that contract. That's where it gets a little complicated. Or are you just saying, Oh, we'll take them from you, Atlanta, but we're not going to give anything up. It's that seems like a very tricky kind of thread or needle he, to thread. What's he fair. The, he like had the broken foot season, by the way, he had the broken foot season in 2013 right. and he's yep. been banged up a lot, but Greg's right. For the most part, this is a guy that plays 14 to 16 games every year. Uh, and, and, and he is your guy. Speaking of what's fair. What's fair value? I, I found this really interesting. A trade, a big trade went down. The Chiefs continued the, the uh, do-over and the makeover of their offensive line, acquiring Orlando Brown, the tackle from the Baltimore Ravens, as well as the 58th overall pick in the 2021 draft. That's a second rounder. And a 2022 six-round selection from the Ravens in exchange for the number 31 overall pick in the first round. On Thursday night, a 2021 third and fourth round pick and a fifth round selection in the 22 draft. A lot of pieces here. Um, The big picture and the most important end of this is that it's another major move for the Chiefs. I wonder, you know, not to get off track here, speaking about the salary cap, how do you pay Orlando Brown if he has a big season as your left tackle this year with all these other contracts you have in Kansas City? Not my problem. I'm not going to worry about it. But... Uh, the big picture here is that they really have done a great job, Kansas City, rebuilding this line, knowing how important it is with the best player on earth uh, playing quarterback. Uh, and then what's the value? Mark, this was interesting uh, going back to Peter King, and we were talking about the Jimmy Johnson trade value chart, and there's all other trade value charts that are floating around the NFL. But to get this specific trade in place, they le- they relied heavily, the two teams, on a chart to figure out how what 
is Orlando Brown worth right now? And it's just interesting to see that's how the sausage gets made there. I think part of it is Baltimore. Um, look, at, I don't think they ever wanted to lose Orlando Brown. They're doing right by him because his goal, and he t- talked about this in the reporting, is that he wants to honor his father by playing left tackle his entire career. He's 24 years old. I don't think outside of quarterback there's a tougher position to go find like a blue chip player, a guaranteed player at than left tackle. And the Chiefs have done that. We spent five weeks, you know, fretting and, and moaning about what would happen to their offensive line. How would they handle this? Bang, here they are. They have Orlando Brown next to Joe Tooney, Austin Blythe, Kyle Long, and Mike Remmers, and they could get Eric Fisher back or someone else. So it's like they're in fine shape. And I, I love this for the Chiefs. I don't really care how much it costs. For the Ravens, I mean, I don't know. I guess, again, I think they, they tried to honor Orlando Brown and do the best they can. They got they got picks in return, but I don't like the trade at all for Baltimore. I just don't. A bit of a, a bit of a bet, you know, a bit of a dare to, to trade it to the best mm-hmm. team in the AFC. I see it a little bit as a bet against Orlando Brown. I mean, I think if they thought Orlando Brown— Did they have a Brown, choice? Yes. You, you definitely have a choice. You—, you you can call his bluff and say, you know, what, you're not going to play football this year? Like, he wanted to go, but it, he wasn't banging the drum that hard. You know, you could have kept him. They already paid Ronnie Stanley the highest paid left tackle in the league. So they probably were looking at a situation where they weren't going to pay him both. But he, you know, he came into the draft. The reason he slipped to round three was some you know, maturity questions or whatever I I don't know what's going on because he's played really well but to give up that good a player uh to the Chiefs feels like a a slight bet against them and you got a lot of picks I mean you got a first a third and a fourth I mean that's a lot you know they they can be you know it could be a bet against them or it could be at the end of the day they're like what's the best value we can get for this guy if we know he's unhappy and we don't see him as our future and the Chiefs just so happen to be this team that is in dire need of a makeover, uh, right. you know, so you had to roll. You're the getting dice a first and a third and a fourth instead of one year of Orlando Brown. Basically, they, I think they made the decision. You're not going to give him the contract next year. That's a lot. That's pretty good. I would trade that, and because the, the Chiefs still have to give him that contract, it doesn't come with it. It's ex- very expensive for the Chiefs. They wanted Trent Williams, but the, obviously he resigned with the Niners. So. I think Orlando Brown did a good job last year filling in for Ronnie Stanley. 11 games he played. And according to PFF, he allowed no sacks or quarterback hits in 700 snaps at left tackle. So he got the taste of starting at left tackle. And that's what he's always wanted to do. And that's what his dad wanted him to do. So I think that I like what he did. I kind of respect that he tweeted out, I'm a left tackle. And then this happened. So if they were betting against him, I hope that they were wrong. And the Chiefs offensive line... They also get Laurent Duvernay-Tardif back because he had opted out from COVID. And I think one other guy, too, who would be a depth kind of more of a player. But they have a lot of options now, and that was their biggest problem coming into this offseason was the offensive line there in Kansas City. I mean, from Orlando's perspective, what if they took the four of us and stuck us into the IT department? You're working Sundays or people calling you up saying... You know, I'm having issues with Cisco Connect. It's like I'd, I'd, I'd jump out of a window. So I would fight for what I believe I should be doing with my career too. So mm-hmm. more power to him. Right, and he's got the Chiefs over a barrel like Tunsil had with the Texans when he got traded there because they, they sort of have to give him a huge But they contract. know that. Right, no, they know that, but they haven't done it yet. You know, it's like they still have to make it happen. They know that, and they're going to have to give him a, a top-of-the-market contract. I mean, they got Mahomes, obviously – 
signed a half a billion dollar deal. Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, Joe Tooney, as we just said. We got paid the biggest guard money in the league. Um, Frank Clark, Honey Badger. You would think if he plays at a level that they want him to and he's a quality left tackle, they're going to have to make some hard decisions for other established guys on the roster to get this guy uh, under a long-term deal, and that's where all that leverage comes in. By the way, Connie, what what have you done to honor your father? Um, I learned how to fly. Oh, what an answer. <laughs> what else? Next. The old man was it? Uh, yeah, what if, I don't know. Uh, what uh, I talk about the Jets for a living. I feel like that's pretty good. Um, but your dad, air traffic controller for decades. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he flies himself, I imagine? He's a flight instructor. He was in the Air Force. And so he taught me to fly. So when I was in college, my freshman year, I was going to flight school and, you know, full-time college at the same time. And I uh, put in some good hours. So mm. that's what I've been doing. Well, that's the first time Daddy's I met girl. your father. Daddy's girl. The first time I met your father, he also said that he witnessed a UFO while flying for the military. So Absolutely. He did. 100%. Well, plus you set up the dad convention. What is that called? Dad's Weekend? No, nope, it's the Dad Summit. And dad I'm summit. just happy to announce it is coming back this year. Um, but we're doing it the weekend before Father's Day. So okay. uh, everybody mark it down. All right. There you go. The Dad Summit is coming mm-hmm. back to SoCal. All right. Moving on. Here's a, a report from Ian... Uh, this morning. Yeah, my understanding of the 49ers situation is they have narrowed down their choice to two. And obviously, as you mentioned, Trevor Lawrence goes one, Zach Wilson goes two. The 49ers are at right now either Alabama quarterback Mac Jones or North Dakota State quarterback Trey Lance, which means they are unlikely or certain not to take Justin Fields at number three. All right. So according to Rap Sheet, that's it. Justin Fields is out of the discussion at number three for the Niners. Uh, read the tea leaves on this one, Greg. I, I'm <laughs> into the conspiracy theory that this is a bunch of hokum. Same. Like, um, from that maybe even, and I'm not saying I have any information here, but maybe even is pushed down from the highest of the high at the NFL. Because I have heard things or whispers in the past, and I think you can... I think you can just look at the public coverage as a fan over the last five years, whether it was the Jared Goff draft or the Baker Mayfield draft and like how they've tried to keep as much uncertain going into draft night as humanly possible. It's a TV event that the teams have cooperated on some level with this in this draft where one and two seem like everyone knows what they are already that, uh, that something's going on here that doesn't smell right. I mean, it defies credulity that, like, that credulity that, 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 that the 49ers <laughs> haven't decided their pick three days before the draft. Of course they decided their pick. Give me a break. I think they decided their pick a long time ago right. to give up everything that they gave up to get to three. And with the Robert Sala connection, they ha- they obviously know exactly what's going to be available to them. So you're telling me that they gave up all of this draft capital to not have a certain decision. I mean, there's there's no way. But then I text 
couple people here, a couple people there, and I'm hearing like, okay, I think it's Mac Jones or I think it's Trey Lance. So I have no idea. I don't understand. Right, we still don't know who it is. I'm not saying I know it's definitely or that anyone should feel like they know who it is necessarily. But it feels like, hey, what can we report? We can can we at least cross out Justin Fields? Can you let us do that at least? And it's like, okay, because it's not just our network. It's it's the main network. Uh, at, I mean, it's the ESPN too. It's that is reporting a similar thing. So it's like, okay, let's cross off Justin Fields. At least we can report that, but we're, but we're not allowed to report anything else. So we don't know but, anything else. Is it ESPN2 reporting, like the Jim, Ro- Jim Rome show in all lowercase letters? ESPN as well. Fighting with Jim I Everett? Say, I should say. I mean, I think it's fair that like they moved up to number three, perhaps weighing between a couple people. I mean, there are reports that you know the scouting staff is really into uh, Lance, but maybe you know Shanahan is not. And so there could be some battling inside the building, or at least, I guess, just discussion. But to me, like, it is, um, it it magnifies the utter absurdity of these lead-up weeks. I because know. On Thursday night, get here! Right, because we're... We're studying this like the like the fans of a show on Reddit. Like, what's going to happen in the next episode? The, I think the show is in the can. We, I, like, we don't know, but they know. And right. it's just, it highlights the utter absurdity of Twitter this week. Um, football Twitter, to me, has gone utterly mental. I mean, I just like, <laughs> none of the, this is all, the, the diners don't care what anyone thinks. It, it's their prerogative. And I, I don't think that they're running around with their hair on fire, wondering what to do. Um, on Monday morning before the draft. In other draft speculation news, several teams, according to Tom Pelissero, have been making calls about getting into the top 10 of next week's, excuse me, this week's NFL draft, <laughs> uh, including the Patriots. Greggy! Who could have their eyes on Justin Fields if he begins to slide. Uh, listen, in the past, you would say that's not a Patriots move, but... And we talked about this with former director of uh, pro personnel there, Scott Pioli, um, on our network show on Friday. You know, the Patriots aren't doing very Patriotsy things right now. Look at their free agent spending. Is this the year where they get crazy, Greg, and move way up and get that QB? You gotta you gotta put in the groundwork ahead of the week. So that makes sense to me that a lot of teams in that in fields. You know, just putting my cards out there as a Patriots fan. That's what I. That's what I would want. That would be the dream scenario is for them to end up with Justin Fields, whether they're trading up or not. I'm not so sure about Trey Lance. And it's not like they haven't done it before. They once they traded up for Chandler Jones and they traded up for Dante Hightower. It's like think you know over time if they have a player that you would really want. I I like it because you look at some of the teams that are up there like Detroit. I could see them trading with them. Carolina, like you, you can see some organizations that they could that they would make a deal with and that would that would be fine put just well, i would i would ask this like i mean if there was a scenario where the dolphins at number six allowed new england into their spot to pick a quarterback that feels like something is rotten inside the afc east but number two if i'm the detroit lions and you're their new general manager brad holmes who spent the last number of years hanging out with Les Snead in New York and then traded for Jared Goff. Do we really believe that Brad Holmes and Les Snead didn't drink like 100 whiskeys together discussing the shortcomings of Jared Goff? You think that the Lions are sold on Jared Goff? Good that was a move too. to help both teams. And so what do you do? Japanese if they don't allow, the, if the Lions don't pick fields at number seven, if he falls to them, I'm mystified as to what their purpose is because that feels like the place you have to get to to get that quarterback if you're New England. But the Lions never make decisions that make sense. So I think that (laughs) if Justin Fields is going to go anywhere, I love love the fit in New England with Cam Newton there. They're sort of the same type of mobile quarterback, and it feels like 
Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels, they finally got a mobile quarterback in there to try some different things, and maybe they're not done yet. Maybe they're just like their curiosity now is just that we're just tapping into it, and uh, who knows what's going to happen. But, yeah, if if the Lions made decisions that actually added up, of course they would get Justin Fields. I also think they're way more likely to just sit there and draft Caleb Farley or like trade up for Jalen Waddell or something that you didn't see coming or just sit there and take Micah Parsons. Like those seem like Patriot moves to me. And I'll, you know, I'll say it again. The Falcons at four. If this shakes out in the Trevor Lawrence, uh, Zach Wilson, um, and who, what, what's the decision here? Let's say Mac Jones, Trey Mac Lance. Jones. Let's say it's Mac Jones. Probably Mac Jones, yeah. If Trey Lance, this hugely buzzy quarterback, is out there. If Justin Fields, this guy that some people are absolutely in love with, is out there, that feels like such a great spot for the Falcons to completely reinvent their roster with a trade that sets them up with assets for days. Go ahead, trade Julio too. Uh, bring back more assets. and Trade and, him and, to the Patriots. Send that boat that Belichick's got, nine rings or whatever. Send it what all was to the, Atlanta. What was the Belichick-Julio Jones draft connection years ago? There was something. Did he bury him in a draft report or love him? I couldn't remember. There was something, wasn't there, Greg? There there was. that they. I think they were interested in trading up, but then they, they also, I'm forgetting the receiver, it was whoever the Chiefs took that year that the Patriots had ranked higher than Julio Jones. It was stupid. Uh, well, didn't they give a two for Mosa New? I mean, I don't know if yeah. they're the best at evaluating wide receivers. No, they've been terrible. Don't that. bring that up on the show. Greg is still processing the Mosa New for a second round pick trade. Uh, uh, quickly, uh, Panthers uh, GM Scott Fitterer said the team is going to wait until after the draft to make a decision on Sam Darnold's fifth-year option. This has been kind of murky. It was out there right after the trade that they were going to pick it up, and then all of a sudden it wasn't happening. Um once again, if I'm Sam Darnold, and, and Sam has a, a close place in my heart, and I hope the best for him. He twisted in the wind for months before the Jets traded him. Now he's right back there again, at least for a few more days, and he's just hoping the Panthers don't take a quarterback high in this draft because that's going to put him in an even worse spot than he was with the Jets. It feels very Josh Rosen-y. Um, just this experience that Sam Darnold's going through. Obviously, they're mm. they're different, but the Panthers they're keeping their options open. I feel like they're on the prowl right now. Sam Darnold he's at home, just waiting for them to come back. He's just maybe making some dinner while the Panthers they're out at the bar checking out what's available, what the uh, mm, what else could yeah. be flying around, and they're gonna wait to see if a quarterback falls to them at eight. Right. I mean, Darnold is their fallback option, and he it, it was not their plan for the offseason i mean do we think that like david tepper is sitting around with like feet up on the desk smoking a cigar no he's irate i think they wanted something else and so it tells me that they're still maybe aggressively looking for to be one of those teams that moves up to get justin fields or someone else and solves this issue i mean if if the narrative around david tepper is indeed true you got a feeling he might have something up his sleeve here to make the big splash that he's been trying to make all offseason and hasn't been able to and sam darnold God love him, doesn't qualify as a huge splash at, at QB right now. Uh, finally, Sean Lee. Goodbye, young man. He walks off into the sunset at 34 years old. A member of the Graybeards this year, but in terms of real football, he announces retirement five tackles shy of 1,000 uh, for the Dallas Cowboys. Was a, really a linchpin for them, uh, Colleen, for many years. Always dealing with hamstring issues and all sorts of injury stuff. But when he was on the field, there was a period there where he was one of the best. It's injuries were such a massive part and are such a massive part of his legacy. 
it's I almost forget how effective he was when he was healthy because he dealt with so many different things. ACL, you're right, always a hamstring, wrist, sports, hernia, a toe, a neck, a knee. I mean, you name it, I feel like he had it. But he was so effective for them. He led the Cowboys in tackles in 2011, 2015, 16, 17. And now you have Tyron Crawford, who also retired. So those are two really huge leadership role guys that are now gone from the team. So Demarcus Lawrence is the longest tenured cowboy now, and Randy Gregory is the second. So mm. I think you Gregory. lose. You think you lose a lot more than just like he hasn't gotten a lot of service time. So I don't know if that counts. He's been like in just to put it into years. perspective. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. Sean Lee. I always think of Wes when I think of Sean Lee because Wes was so early on how good he was, and Sean Lee was the classic like West guy where he would say, you can tell who's watching the games and who's not um, when Sean Lee was a young player and was so explosive. Cause a lot of times like the announcers would be like, you know, this guy he's a hardworking guy. He's really on top of things. It's like, no, Sean Lee was like one of the most explosive athletes to play linebacker in the last 15 years. Like he was a demon on the field, especially early. Like it wasn't that like try hard white guy cliche or whatever. Like you weren't watching and Wes was on him early. Absolutely. All right. That's what's happening in the news. All right. Let's get right to it. As promised. One of our favorites. A draft wizard, I call him. I call him draft wizard. And if that's not uh, trademarked yet, uh, maybe it's time that this man looks into it. Lance Zierlein, the man, the myth, the legend. Welcome back to the Around the NFL podcast, man. What's going on? Draft Wizard. I'm going to I'm gonna look into that and see if anyone's got that trademark. Wait, Lance is holding a microphone right now like he's doing stand-up at the improv. I like this, <laughs> so what saying, Lance. Guys, Maybe do this. Let's do a little crowd work here. Who's Hey, look, I see Sessler over there, man. Hey. It's great to see you again. Uh, everything's still good with your mom? See that shirt I've got? Go ask your mom. <laughs> this I is like so this real. t-shirt. Go ask your mom because it could be like, I don't know, why don't you go ask your mom? Because it could be like a rip, or it's also a real dad thing. Like, I don't know. Go ask your mom. Yeah. What a great, okay, what a great out it is yeah. in, in the home. Lance, we have, let's do a theme here because we know you're doing a ton of media and NFL.com uh, mm-hmm. and network stuff right now. Yep. Um, um, so you're getting inundated, I'm sure, with quarterback talk. But we're, we're this whole segment for the draft, we're not going to talk about any quarterbacks. How about that? Is that, is that work for you, oh, man, Mr. I, Zealand? I, I'm fine with that. <laughs> That's that's <laughs> every show. I'm, I'm always all guided play. when I all don't have to do play. quarterback talk. Yeah, <laughs> guard play is. <laughs> guard we don't want to sink the ratings. Yeah, Come on, your dad was a, an offensive play, line. My coach. dad was an you know, offensive line. Go to. That's like if my dad was a chef. All I want to talk about mise en place and and different types of knife skills. No, <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to. But uh, no, O line talk. I like talking O line talk. But. uh the guard play. I can do it if no, you I'm like. kidding. I'm kidding about the guard. Yeah, well, I mean, if you think your listeners want guards, guards talk, they're not even humans. Guard talk. It's a, you know, guard, the, the field... guards are humans. <laughs> they're not even humans. <laughs> Let's start here, Lance. It feels like it's yeah. like a very offensive, heavy draft, especially early on. Uh, you mentioned the trenches, by the way. Defensive tackle. I, I read it's not. This is not a great year for de- defensive tackle. Uh, what is there like a superstar defensive player coming out of this draft in your mind? Uh, I actually, I think there's a few. Um, I think Pat Sertan to me is the best defensive player in this draft, wow. followed very closely by Micah Parsons. 
And then the guy that I'm a little bit higher on than everyone else seems to be, and that includes uh, NFL teams I talked to, is Jeremiah Owusu-Karamoa from Notre Dame. I think he's got tremendous, uh, tremendous upside and potential. I remember watching tape of from South Carolina State watching Darius Leonard. And Darius had filled up like every stat you could imagine, sacks, interceptions, tackles for loss, tackles, pressures, um, it, it fumbles recovered, like any any stats you had, he was filling up the, the stat sheet. And uh, while Karamosa, I mean, while um, Owusu Karamoa is not that same guy from a production standpoint, I see a lot of similarities, at least with the explosiveness, the physicality. I think Owusu Karamoa is more physical than Darius Leonard was coming out. Um, I don't think he has the instincts that, that Darius Leonard had, but I don't care that he's 222 pounds or whatever. That's irrelevant. I know that you know, frankly, I know for a fact that, that Darius has played in a 218 range, 220 pound range. I mean, he's, that's wide receiver size, and he's still stacking up the numbers. So I think uh, Micah Parsons, you know, from a standpoint of big, fast, physical, he's got all of that that you could possibly want. Sertan, to me, is, is, is a top five or six player in this draft, a very mm. clean cornerback. And then uh, Owusu Karamo. I think those three guys have the best chance at becoming superstars out of this draft from the defensive side of the ball. I, I like the, the themes in this draft. There's a couple, like, how there's no edge rusher that like everyone's got their edge rusher that they like. And the other is just like that. The receivers are small of all the like slot receivers, especially that they're at least their size profiles to playing inside a little bit more that all seem to be projected anywhere from like late one, you know, through the second or third round. Do you have any of these like small receivers that gets Lance line up and excited? <laughs> oh, dude, without question. It's Elijah Moore. I mean, <clears throat> when I watched Elijah Moore this year on tape, it, it, every every year there will be 10 to 12. And some of these guys, like I like a cornerback out of Michigan State named Shakur Brown, where I really enjoyed watching his tape. He'll get drafted fourth at the earliest, maybe fifth. But that doesn't mean that they don't, you know, I don't think they'll be players or that I didn't enjoy watching their tape. There's a lot of times there's things that will prevent them from being drafted earlier. Um, Elijah Moore, when I watched him, I was like, wow. He checks the box for speed. He's an outstanding route runner, um, extraordinarily tough. It really doesn't matter who's – a lot of times you'll see a lot of wide receivers have the the focus drops when they know pressure's coming uh, in, into their catch space. It's it, You see a lot of focus drops. Not Elijah Moore. He only gets better when the pressure's coming. You want to lo- light him up, not a problem. He's going to catch it through the contact. So when I finish watching him – and this is a big comp, but when I finished watching him, I just said, you know, I, I just watched Antonio Brown. I mean, mm. from a footwork wow. standpoint, from the ability to get open, uh, Antonio Brown was a four five forty guy. This Elijah Moore is a four four forty guy, but you couldn't stick Antonio Brown in his prime. You just weren't going to check him. He was too good with his feet. And when I see Elijah Moore, I see the same type of player. So he would be a guy that gets me excited. I think Kadarius Tony from Florida is another one who the undersized cornerbacks that. that you know, it's you see a lot to really like about him. And then there's another one who who killed players at the uh, at the senior bowl, and that's Kay Johnson from South Dakota State. On take, no one could guard him in, in the in the regular season from 2019. I don't think they played this year. 
So, yeah, well, they didn't play this year. So 2019, no one could guard him. He gets out the senior bowl, nobody could guard him. So I like guys that people can't guard. That's one of the things that I kind of like about wide receivers when you can't guard them is a favorable thing for me, at least. Well, I like, like to look open. Yeah. Like the, the Nikhil Harry, oh, we'll just throw it up there. He's so big and strong. He'll make plays. I still like guys that get open. <laughs> Those guys tend to play Lance, for a long We already time. brought up most of the new on today's show. Greg can't take yeah. any Harry conversation on top of it. Let's, <laughs> let's move so I'd, on say, it. I'd say Kay Johnson uh, is another one of those smaller uh, slot corners that I really like. And he could be there in the fourth or even fifth, sixth round. I mean, you're going to get him in day three later. And I think he'll be an NFL uh, starting slot at some point. You spend so much time writing all of these draft profiles, and Mm -hmm. I I can't even imagine how many hours you pour into it. So you know these guys through and through, and you watch all their tape. Who is a guy that you think will be a a surprise night one selection? Mm, Not a QB. Mm. Well, okay, so these these are predictions based on things I'm hearing. Okay. Okay. So I would say Tyson Campbell, a cornerback from uh, Georgia, I think is going to end up in in the first round of the mock. I had him in the first round of my my first mock. And it's funny, I go back and look at my mock 1.0. If you go back and look at that, these this is before I'm hearing anyone say anything, the, the other media members, and it's probably my most pure mock. And a lot of times my very first mock has has some very interesting things in there where I have I'm just relying on what I'm seeing and it ends up being more accurate, at least at certain positions for certain players. The uncut um, stuff, like that's the pure in. stuff. You put it right into the system. It's going straight to your head. 1.0. <laughs> exactly. I don't, I don't need this stepped on 3.0, no. 4.0 stuff. Tight, 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 tight. So that's <laughs> the way you, that's the way I do it for my mock draft. And uh, so I had Greg Newsom in there. I had Tyson Campbell. I had Elijah Moore before the other mock drafts had it. Cause it just made sense to me. I mean, I wrote these guys up. And these are the kind of players that go in the first round. And so um, I think Tyson Campbell will find his way in there. Um, you know, Colleen, as far as other players who are going to potentially surprise, there could be others. Um, I'll throw out just a couple names that might be kind of crazy, but Peyton Turner out of uh, University of Houston, um, Milton Williams out of Louisiana Tech. If Christian Barmore falls out of the first, which I think is possible, and it is a bad, and and as Dan mentioned, it's a bad defensive tackle draft. So at some point, somebody's going to say, look, these are the best defensive tackles. We got to get this guy before anyone else does, or that, Mm -hmm. you know, you can close that category down. Um, That could cause somebody to reach up there, especially if Barmore doesn't end up going in the first round, the defensive tackle from, uh, from Alabama. One strategy, if you're watching on YouTube, that I employ during these types of things is when you mention a player that I've never heard of, I just sort of nod like, Oh yeah, of course. Like that guy. Absolutely. Um, but so I, I have a little bit You're of like Milton from La Tech. Yeah. Sure. That's one of my I have a little bit of two parter for you. Um, number one, because it's such a weird draft and like, we're already hearing from like Adam Schefter that teams are, um, you know, obviously a little peaked with the lack of rock solid medical information on players and that stuff even now is still trickling in. So one, do you think that over the next couple of days, we might get some explosive medical um, reports that take guys and just throw them mm. deep into, a, into hyperspace? And then part two, what, like how hammered do you get the minute the draft ends? Like you're obviously <laughs> entering into a wide berth of like, you don't need to chime in on anything. That's just a part on two a level first. of one to I'm ten. Okay, so, part two first. 
So yeah, so the other day, um, just after Total Access, I went and got hammered with tiki drinks at a tiki bar here because it's socially distanced, but I don't need to be that far away from one of the giant skulls with that uh, ten different types of rums sure. in it. Right. So if I you just, just don't share, just, you don't share straws like the tiki thing where it's like ten straws in it. Well, uh, me and my wife, yeah, not yet. Okay. Yeah. Right. yeah, different. Yeah, different. And if you have a couple that you trust, like we've got our friends from Belize who came down. Shout out to Kelly and McCool from the Phoenix. Shout out to them. Um, they're the ones that are more, most likely to go get a little torn down with. So if I do that just after a basic TA, you can imagine what happens after a draft. Now, previously, you know, back in the good old days, I was always flying out to California. So I was in L.A. And so I might, you know, go do something with our buddy Mark Istook. I might go do something with uh, my friend Eric Layden, who's an actor there. And uh, – and and but not to the point that I, you know, after the draft's over, I mean, I'm I have to make a flight and get home at some point during that next day, usually. And so uh, so it was it, it's a little tough. So, um, no, I, I pick out a day and then we'll uh, we'll just see what happens on that day. When at you, some point afterwards, when do you start your pro writing your profiles for the next year? Ugh. Um, <laughs> it kind of starts in the summer. I, I usually do a summer kind of um it depends on so when nfl.com would ask me to write my give us 10 players to watch at every position well that was really a head start for me where i'm already watching um i had a really high grade on justin herbert after his sophomore year when i watched him in the summer then Uh, i i didn't like (laughs) Najee harris as much this this year when i watched him in the summer and then the, the version i saw this year was like wow this is not the same guy i saw last year when i watched him from 2019 all right that i saw in the summer from his 2019 tape so i'll start watching colleen in the in the summer but i'm not writing the profile i'm just i'm kind of you know, acclimating myself to their mm-hmm. strengths and weaknesses because I love how people reach out to me on my in my direct messages. I left them open, which is probably a mistake since I get so many sweet <laughs> huddle videos of high schoolers now. Like, this is my son. You need to see him. Mm, He's be the next big wide receiver. And yeah, like this this guy's gonna be an incredible wide receiver out of you know Maine. And I just think I don't need Maine high school receivers in my DMs ever, <laughs> ever, no, no. never. I don't even want them from college, uh, Maine college. But um, so I will uh, screw Maine. Yeah, it's, it's, no offense, but you know, wait until you get to the senior bowl. No. So like, like if we had to get rid of one or two, like a handful of states, states. Maine's on that list. Rhode Island. Slow down with the Maine assassination. No, attempt. Rhode Island. We may have listeners. No, Rhode Island. I probably you just have to do it. You know, at the senior bowl, I just need to see you do it against better competition rather than your huddle tape from high school. But um, so I do have people ask all the time, hey, Lance, I know you're busy with draft, with writing up 500 profiles. Just wanted to know who you, what you thought about this wide receiver from the 2022 draft from SMU. I'm like, dude, I don't have time. I can, if you're not in this year's draft, I, you don't exist to me. I don't care <laughs> until the summer. And then you exist again. And it's not mm. personal, but I, I just don't have the time to be worrying about who's in next year's draft. True We're dedication through all this stuff, you know. Lance, can I going back to red flags and medical stuff? There's one prospect that I'm completely obsessed with now, and for the only reason that we do that silly mock draft uh, special for NFL Network, and I was tasked with the 23rd overall pick, the Jets' silly. second first round pick, and um, I selected uh, with much trepidation Landon Dickerson, the Alabama center. 
I feel like it's is oh, Lance is oh, giving him a big thumbs down. Thumbs down. I love I love Landon okay. Dickerson. Let me let me finish okay. let me Go finish ahead. the Go setup ahead. here. So Landon Dickerson. He seems to me the guy that has the biggest ratio of where he could go in this draft, right? I'm seeing him go into the bottom of the first round, uh, a lot of uh, mock drafts. And then you see some red flags because he's had so many injuries that he could be going in the middle rounds. A uh, uh, huge boomer bust guy, maybe the biggest in the draft, right? I think that uh, – I think Gregory Rousseau might be. Mm-hmm. I don't talk to a team who likes him in the first. Like nobody I've talked to who likes him in the first. Some teams have third-round grades on him. But he's big. He's a long guy. He plays the position. There's just not a lot of tape, only one-year tape on him. So he's one of those guys that could end up in the first or could fall way back into maybe the the middle to late second at the latest. I think the, the guys – you did hit on something, though. How teams perceive injuries creates the biggest boom-bust factor. Uh, well, not boom-bust, but the biggest chasm between high-end and low-end mm. um, picks. I. I've I've heard enough from enough people who say Landon Dickerson, and I already know about his injury past, just you know studying this. But I think the medicals are such that he is not going to go in the first round. So I liked him in the first round of two of my mock drafts. I think he's a good football player. He's the type of guy that you want in your locker room. Um, everything about him, I love for his attitude and the way he's going Andy. to change the culture. But it's just the medicals are just tough to get around. So I don't think he goes in the first, I think he falls out. And if you want a guy who's going to, I don't, so I don't think the high end is in the first. I think when you're talking about a guy who could be, you know, upper lower, you start talking about injury guys like Caleb Farley. You talk about um, potentially Terrace Marshall, who's got some, some medicals with a foot and he's got some stuff there, but he's also got potential first round value. So it's always going to be the injuries or the character. And as far as mm. the character stuff, the two guys, Micah Parsons, who has some stuff that happened at Penn State, and then um, uh, Jalen Phillips, who's, who's had injuries and has had some, some, some questions about character and football, um, football character specifically. Mm. The teams I talk to about both those players just say too talented to fall out of the first. It's weird that Mac Jones, like, like Micah Parsons, that Mac Jones read... DUIs don't matter. Whoa, 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 whoa. Who, 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 Greg? Mac Jones is DUIs. It's no, weird to me how let me ask you a question. Jack Prescott. How many like, DUIs? How many DUIs does he have? I thought he had two. Yeah, because the internet told you. He's got one. No, he's and got I one. think that's interesting. I brought that up on my radio I show. He's a quarterback, but that's cool. Yeah, the, 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 it's funny that Twitter started saying he had two DUIs. Mm. And I had to check with teams. I'm like, hey, I've only got one in 2017. And they say, yeah, he's only got one. But on Twitter, it said, I'm sorry. What'd you say, Lance? Did you say on Twitter it said? And then they hung up the phone on me. So uh, that's good. That's good. To I did want to. Yeah, I did want to point page. that out. That it's. Uh, I saw Sessler had that number right. It's one. I have not <laughs> talked to anybody who said he had those. two. But that's one of those things. That once it gets put out there into you know into the internet, it turns into something that we all work off of, and that just isn't accurate. Now. Um, what the hell? What were we talking about again? Well, can I ask you about Micah Parsons? Now, maybe this yeah. is also way off, but did I read that he um, effectively, as a one-person band, started a riot? Because I kind of like that, unless I read that wrong. I thought that someone Wait, said he, he started a riot somewhere. He's a one-man riot in high school cafeteria. That's accurate. Um, I like that, though. That, well, that would make me want to bring him into my building. Who's a wrestler? I get a feeling Hansis will know this. The one-man one man gang. Yes. That so... So this is he's kind of like a one-man one man riot man. in high school, yes. And honestly, 
I'm probably going to use that phrase as a complimentary phrase in scouting next year is like a one man riot on the defensive Ooh, line. Good, yeah. It's actually a, Aaron Donald positive, is a one man riot, right? That's there. Perfect. That's a hundred percent. And that's one of those things that for me, it'll get stuck and I'll say, Oh, this is a good one. A one man riot. He did start that. That's one of the concerns. Um, there's an issue that you can Google and find out a hazing incident that, that happened in um, at Penn state with a teammate and the teammate, believe is suing him. I don't, I'm not sure where that stands right now. So you do have, you have a couple of incidents where the hazing got out of control, wildly out of control. Isaiah Wilson's like, stay away from this guy. (laughs) I think I can't tell anyone anything. I mean, honestly, after Isaiah, no, Micah, Micah gets out there and is going to play. He just has edge. And so you have to find out, is this a bad guy or is he a guy with edge? I think the teams I talk to think, He's a guy with edge. You always know he's going to be a little a little extra in everything that he does on the field, and you want to make sure he doesn't do it off the field. But from what I told, it's all manageable. He's, you know, he's just a, an alpha player who's got an alpha demeanor, and it's something that you have to keep an eye on. But um, his love of the game is not really in question by anyone, uh, and that's clearly an issue with Isaiah Wilson. But mm-hmm. shout out to you for – for recalling the uh, for bringing back the Isaiah Wilson thing yeah. to make your point though. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you. And, and by the way, one man gang, that was a, a wrestler in the early eighties. He then rebranded himself. And this is eighties uh, wrestling is as they prob- often do in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. It was problematic in, in a lot of ways uh, when you go back and look at the plot lines, he's a big, like six foot eight, six foot nine, 350 pound white dude. And he rebranded himself, Akeem, the African dream. Oh no. Weird. oh no! Oh no! Like, that's not real. That's not real. Is that real? True Stop. Story. That's true. And that's in the eighties So you know, every wrestling it, it, character in the eighties would take whatever was in the news. Then I remember there was immediately as soon as something happened with a plane being shot down and Libya was involved, there was a wrestler named the Libyan. Like you would never see that now. <laughs> oh, yeah. And if you do your, if you go through the timeline. Akeem, the African dream, Akeem Olajuwon, Akeem, the dream Olajuwon, just lazy branding, lazy mm-hmm. wrestling branding is what that is. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're probably right. You're about right. That. All right. Now, before we say goodbye, Lance, since we started it with you looking like you were at the Chuckle Hut in downtown Houston, I'm going to give you a subject and then you're going to just give me a riff. Give me what you got. You got five kids. Uh, give me a, a riff on being a dad to five kids during pandemic life. Uh, so I had, they went viral with a fight. Two of them got into a fight during a oh, basketball yes. game in the driveway and Lamar Jackson got a hold of it, retweeted it. And then it just went bananas. They ended up on sports center. And then yesterday, yesterday those same two kids, or I'm sorry, on Friday, they were both uh, suspended for their basketball team for leaving the school and walking to the store so they could go buy it like an orange Fanta and some potato chips. Mm. They just, they just ghosted the school for about I an hour them. and a half. So they were, they were both concerns right there. Oh, huge them, character yeah. red flag. It seems like you and I have a similar huge. lid over the situation in our household. So <laughs> we're, you know, I like that. Check that. You could find that anywhere. I don't know if you want that to be something that is a part of your family history forever, but it is uh, what it is. It is it what is it now. is. Well, the is second that. child with the basketball, throwing the basketball, that's mm-hmm. where I thought, you know, hey, things got real. If you there. grew up with brothers or cousins, that stuff happens. But there weren't cameras back then uh, for us anyway. All right. There you go. Lance, you've said it all. You've done it all. Mm. 
Uh, you are you're not the African dream to me. You're the American dream, and and we'd love to have you back anytime. Just your role, the American dream, baby. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get we'll get Bobby your Lance. Broadway we'll get your Broadway rankings next time. Lance says, yeah, let's a do big that. Time Broadway guy just has a lot of hot takes there. We'll let's get it. Go. Next time. All right, uh, next time, Lance. Thank you, buddy. All right, thanks, guys. All right. Before we go, I uh, I do want to point out because we didn't on this podcast officially, we did on our network show, but that it was a birthday for our host. Uh, oh, the, nice. What is it? The new old blue eyes for your birthday? I'll say don't that. Like you don't know. I'll you say know. that nickname. That's my birthday <laughs> present to you. But he celebrated uh, over the weekend, and we tried to get a um, a cameo uh, from one of his uh, favorite players of all time in time for our TV show. It came a little late, but uh, we should just play this oh. on the podcast. Ricky, let's see. I love it. Hey, Danny. Wayne Trebek from New York Jets. Got a message from Ricky Hollywood. Wanted to reach out to you. Tell me you're a big Jet fan and a fan of mine. Uh, appreciate it, man. You know, I had a blast in my 11 years. Hopefully it gave you a lot to cheer about. A uh, big reason I am reaching out to you. I heard you're having your birthday. So very happy birthday to you, Dan. Just want to let you know everybody's thinking about you. Love you. You know, hopefully you have a great day, safe day. Wanted me to tell you that you have the best hair out of anyone I've ever seen. Ah! But I'm concerned they want people to call you the new old blue eyes. Not sure what that means, man. But uh, sounds like you got some great friends there rising you a little bit. Uh, listen, I know it was a tough year. Two wins. You know, there's nothing you can do about it now. But uh, they got a great new coach. Great new coach. Coaching staff. We got a second, the second pick in the draft, man. We're getting a quarterback. Not sure which one, but uh, the young guys did well. You know, Becton in, uh, you know, should have made the Pro Bowl. Quinn should have made the Pro Bowl. So there's a lot to be excited about. So look forward to that in 2021. Hopefully you have a great 2021. And I wanted to give a shout out to your jet dad. Heard he's the real Jets Aww. fan. So enjoy your day. Happy <laughs> birthday, Dan. And uh, go Jets. Take care, man. That was so, you know, I do have great friends. And I thank all you guys for that. Because my birthday went in the really quick uh, on Friday. We did our network show and, and um, you know, I was about to have a nice family day uh, and just enjoy myself, have a few Tito's. And then my eldest son, Jack, has an accident in school where he gets a cut on his head that requires a visit to the urgent care and stitches. And it's oh, just, no. you know, for a par any parents, uh, you guys all get it that you, know, you just feel so helpless, especially if it happens when you're not around. Uh, so that that was weighing on me heavily. And, and I also had gotten my second vaccine shot, which was great the day before my birthday. But then that was hitting me pretty hard. So it was like a not the best uh, birthday. But then when the Wayne Corbett video arrived on Friday night, that that salvaged things a little bit. And I, I thank you for that. Corbett was uh, for people that are younger, don't really know, like he was kind of like an Edelman prototype type dude, like a guy that didn't get a lot of love. In fact, He's a former Hofstra wide receiver um, hmm. out in Long Island in New York. And the Jets used to train there in Hofstra. And part of the agreement that the college had, the university had with the Jets was, we'll, uh, you could use our grounds for training camp, but we get to send one of our undrafted uh, guys to camp and he gets a shot. Corbett was that guy and he hmm. became one of the best receivers in franchise history. And if you actually look at his numbers, stacks up with Edelman. He didn't have the postseason resume. Uh, but I love Wayne Corbett, the first jersey I ever bought with my own money. So, yes, if you were looking for Joe Namath, as Mark had told me, uh, that would have been great and awesome. But Corbett actually is more near and dear to my heart. Number 80, the Green Lantern, as he was known.
you, well, that I was will, another um, nickname. That I will really mention take. to you that we, uh, you know, this was – we were sourcing this for multiple reasons, but multiple – you know, ideally for your birthday and your pleasure. Um, we did look into Lindsay Lohan. That was above <laughs> our price point. Um, so you got Wayne Krebet, but I think that we did fine. We, we, we are, are good friends. Yeah, shout out to Jason Kleiman for thinking of, thinking of that. Uh, he was so Krebet sweet, too, that and thoughtful. Yeah. And, yeah, Wayne was like – he, he kind of gave off like a Connor Orr vibe, too. I really – it, it was good. The whole thing was Well, he's also awesome. like – I just – and this is comes from being like an East Coast guy at heart. And like he grew up in Garfield, Wayne Krebet, which is exit 157 on the Garden State. I grew up just <laughs> over the border at exit 172. So like he's like every guy I went to high school with basically. And he for him to carve out – and that was really nice. So you're going to get me emotional. I mean, it's great. Good stuff. I didn't think we'd get into Garden State Parkway talk today, but GSP I'm into talk. it. <laughs> Yeah, you, you need to make up make up for something that you've had two of these uh, birthdays during the pandemic here. <clears throat> nah, a little it's bit. Right. So there you it's go. fine. Um, I actually had something to moan about, but now I feel like in a good oh. good place emotionally. So I'm going to save that for tomorrow, Ricky. So let's hold off on something I'm angry about um, because who needs that right now in the world? Uh, Connie. Yes. When are you leaving? When are you heading over to Cleveland, tomorrow, Ohio? Tomorrow morning at like 5 a.m. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> so you're There's right. no direct flights from L.A. To Cleveland? No. Come on, Mark. You're better than that. What? I've been to Cleveland like twice in my life. Like I don't, I'm not in charge of the airspace. I, I like to get think Mark I might to Cleveland. Be. I mean, if you're going to be like punching down at Cincinnati all the time, you got to puff your chest out about Cleveland. I will do whatever I please. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to. It does make me want to check now since you brought it up, Greg. Are there direct flights from LA to Cincinnati? I don't know. Why? Ooh. That could be a W Why? in a big spot for Cincy. That's all. <laughs> for what purpose? We'll send Mark out there. I don't know. Uh, anything else? Anybody else have anything to add? Good. Miss you guys. This has been nice hanging. It yeah. has been nice, Thanks Ricky. Uh, I mean, Connie. Excuse me. Oh. <laughs> Just, okay, I see how it is. Not, All right, don't take oh, it personally. Cool. I'm cool, sorry. Cool, cool. Uh, and Erica, why don't you jump in here? How hey, you doing, I'm by the Colleen way? I'm Colleen Wolf. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Since I brought you Hello. up. Hello. <laughs> nice haircut, Ricky. Thanks. Nice job. Thanks, Did bud. a good job with the hair. Good work. Well, yeah, took a, took a little help. Um, couple strands were much longer and i left like that mm. so jet had to take scissors to my head did you go to supercuts? like yeah that... i should have it probably would have been better god dang it's a mask issue the same thing happened to me it's yeah. a common problem ah, yeah that's it. did you not speak with the stylist at a later point it feels like she got off scot-free here i feel bad sure not, not, not going back is the biggest punishment you can give her so that's yeah yeah Right. Good lesson in consumerism from Greg there yeah. at the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, I'll teach her. You're done. Level-headedness really comes through in a big spot. All right. <sighs> awesome. Love it. We got four more shows coming this week. We got one tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, and we're going to have special guests. We're going to do our sandwich props for the draft. Thursday night, of course, and then Saturday night recap. Uh, great, fun analysis. Guests galore. So stay tuned. This is Dan Hansen signing off for Quiet Storm, The Tiny Box, The Old Boss, Ricky Hollywood, Behind the Virtual Glass. Until Tuesday, heed the call.
you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. 